asthma and Olympic athletes. What do Australian sports doctors know? You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Sports Medicine. I am your host, Dr Mary Lushaz. Joining me is Professor Ken Fitch, who is a member of the Australian Olympic Committee Medical Commission, Chair of the International Olympic Medical Commission Games Group, and Chair of the IOC Independent Asthma Panel. He is a professor at the University of Western Australia in the School of Sports Science, Exercise and Health, located in Perth, Australia. Ken has been involved in no less than 15 Olympic Games and has played a leading role in sports medicine in Australia for over 40 years. Today, we are discussing asthma in the Olympic athlete and what Australian sports doctors know about this condition. Dr Fitch, what percentage of Australian athletes have asthma? Well, if I looked at uh, some figures here, around about the 15 to 20% mark. In Sydney, we had 20%. In Atlanta, 17.8%. It did uh, drop down in, in Athens a little. So Australia, New Zealand are very high there, uh, with America not far behind. And what about other countries? Are there countries that don't have any asthmatic athletes at all? If we took the games of Atlanta, Sydney and Athens, I can tell you that uh, Russia had more than 1,200 athletes in those games. China had more than 900 athletes in those games. Korea had more than 800 athletes in those games. And not one single athlete was requested the use of beta agonists. uh, And uh, this would be highly suggestive that not one single athlete had asthma. And why do you think that is so? Well, interestingly enough, there have been a number of global studies uh, called the ISAAC studies, and uh, these have documented the prevalence of symptoms of asthma rather than diagnosis of asthma in multiple countries around the world. Our knowledge of the prevalence of asthma and airway hyperresponsiveness in elite athletes across the globe mirrors very much the Isaac study. So if we were to look, for example, at the Isaac numbers, Great Britain is number one in Isaac, number one in the Olympics. Australia is number two in the Olympics and number three in Isaac. The USA is five in the Olympics and nine in Isaac. At the other end, uh, we have Russia, Romania, Korea. Well, Russia is number 50, China is 51, Korea is 44, Romania is 54. So these are countries, those four countries, had no single athlete in three Olympic Games taking better agonists. It mirrors out quite well between what we know from prevalence studies and what we see at Olympic Games. And does the incidence of asthma in elite athletes of one country reflect the incidence of asthma in the general population of that country? Generally, yes. Although it it reflects it, but at, at times exceeds it, particularly in the endurance athlete. But of course, when you're looking at the Olympic team, you're looking at a whole range of athletes. You're looking for people who are archers and shooters, who have virtually yacht persons who literally have no uh, or very little uh, physical roles, whereas you then compare that with marathon runners and cross-country skiers and 1,500-metre swimmers, and etc. Uh, so there's a vast difference across the board. And, of course, we see that in the prevalence of use of better agonists across those sports. So, for example, uh, weightlifting, uh, boxing, judo, shooting, uh, these sort of sports have very, very low incidence of asthma, as in the winter sports do we see that in sports like uh, luge 
and Bob and uh, so on. Figure skating is interesting because in recent times, and this is work done in your country, the Zambonis have been causing considerable problems in the ice rinks. And this has been causing a very marked increase in prevalence of asthma amongst uh, both uh, figure skaters as well as short trackers and also ice hockey players. And so I saw in Torino a, a very much higher prevalence of asthma amongst ice hockey players than was seen perhaps four years before in Salt Lake City. This is being rectified because uh, instead of having diesel-powered Zambonis and ice rinks, we're moving now towards uh, electrical Zambonis. Just for our listeners and also for myself, what's a Zamboni? Zamboni are the ice resurfacing machines that come on in each break in ice hockey games or when you're resurfacing the ice. Uh-huh. They're those great big things. And I'm reliably told that some of the Zamboni drivers are quite famous in, in various ice rinks around North America. So for Vancouver in uh, 2010, the next Winter Olympic Games, the organising committee have arranged to lease 17 Zambonis that will all be electronically driven and not diesel-powered. Uh-huh. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Sports Medicine, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr Mary Luchars, and I'm speaking today with Dr Ken Fitch, and we are discussing asthma and Olympic athletes from an Australian perspective. So, Dr Fitch... Do athletes with asthma outperform their peers? Well, Mary, I've always known that uh, my asthmatics patients had a particular resilience and they've often had a, a lot of pretty bad experiences and uh, one always felt that many of them were quite high achievers. But uh, recently I took out the results of uh, athletes in Sydney, Salt Lake City, Athens and Torino and I compared the percentage of athletes with asthma and the percentage of individual medals that they won compared with the percentage of athletes without asthma and the percentage of individual medals that they won. And so if we took just, say, the summer games first, in Sydney, 5.7% of non-asthmatics won won an individual medal and 7.2% of asthmatics. And in Athens, it was 4.2% of non-asthmatics and 5.4%. But in the Winter Games, it's markedly different. In Salt Lake, 5.2% of athletes who did not have asthma won an individual medal, and 15.6% of athletes with asthma won an individual medal. That's a threefold difference. And in Torino, four years later, it was 7.7% for non-asthmatics and 14.4%, which is nearly double. Why? Now, why the difference between summer and winter? That's easy. Uh, 42% of all summer medals, individual medals, are in six sports, which are, none of which are endurance sports. That's the first thing. And, and these sports include things like boxing, gymnastics, fencing, etc., weightlifting. Um, and, of course, the second thing is that the vast majority of sports and therefore of medals in the Winter Games are in endurance sports. So we've got the endurance sports of speed skating, cross-country skiing, Nordic combine, and of short track. Some of them is quite endurance, and also biathlon. So there are far more events for the endurance athlete. And, of course, it's the endurance athlete, not the sprint athlete or the sedentary athlete, who is demonstrating a higher prevalence of asthma. 
Now, we don't believe that bitter agonists have any part to play in this. We've had tests in Sydney 2000 to distinguish between oral versus inhaled, so we know that, and every medalist gets tested, so we know for a fact that uh, they have not been misusing bitter agonists. But what we tend to believe and we're seeing more and more of is that the elite athlete is an elite athlete without asthma who then develops asthma as an elite athlete and goes on to even greater success. It's basically the harder I train, the better I get, but I also might get asthma if I'm in the wrong sport and breathing the wrong air. So it's like an occupational health hazard in a way. I believe so, and particularly in some sports like cycling where these guys are highly paid professionals who ride for countless hours, you know, the Tour de France or the Giro d'Italia, which is on at the moment. You're riding four or five hours a day for... You know, 20 out of 22 days or 20 huge distances and, and of course, exposed to all of the, the pollutants that uh, that are in the the French or the, the Italian uh, roads that you're riding on. Who is a famous sports person who has or had asthma and, and went on to great success? Oh, there are many. Uh, I mean, we could go back uh, many, many years. Dawn Fraser was an asthmatic who won uh, 100 metres at uh, three consecutive Olympic Games between 1956 and 1964. Uh, listeners in uh, in North America, you'll all remember Amy Van Dyke, who was an outstanding uh, US uh, swimmer who won several gold medals and was a very severe asthmatic, often finishing up in the emergency department of her hospital. Currently, the fastest woman in the world in swimming uh, over 100 metres, Libby Lenton, as she was now, recently married to Libby Trickett, is a, a very severe asthmatic indeed. And, of course, uh, the person who has not lost an Olympic 1,500-metre event uh, in his life is uh, Grant Hackett, is, is a classical example, who uh, has developed asthma in recent years. He was not a, an asthmatic when he first won his uh, Olympic uh, title in Sydney and his situation, which has recently been publicised by Grant himself, would appear to have possibly come from his many, many hours of of training in in pools in in Queensland where he lives. Where can listeners go to get more information about asthma and elite athletes or asthma and sport in general? There will be an issue of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, an Olympic issue coming out uh, in a month or two, which would be uh, worth looking at. Uh, The IOC website... uh, will allow you to assess how to apply for your athlete to take uh, a better agonist at the Games in Beijing, what are the criteria, and also the consensus statement that followed an IOC consensus conference that we conducted in Lausanne in January of this year. And this will discuss a variety of issues that we've discussed here today, including the prevalence of asthma in elite athletes, how to diagnose it, how to treat it, the aspects of the environment, genetics. And one other issue we haven't touched on, what we now know is that we're now seeing an increasing number of athletes of developing tolerance to the bitter agonist. And, and, and this is because they're taking it every day. And they need to take it every day because they train daily or twice daily. What do you think the solution to this is? Is there, is there a solution? Well, we, we haven't come to a solution, but we're now warning the asthmatics that they, and, and their doctors that they really need to look at uh, can they reduce the use of the inhaled beta agonist? And it doesn't seem to matter whether it's a short-acting beta agonist or a long-acting beta agonist. If you take it daily quite quickly, you are developing tolerance. And this results in several different issues. Firstly, you don't get the protection that when you take it pre-exercise. Secondly, when you do get asthma, 
the beta agonist doesn't work as well and, and bronchodilate as well as it used to. And thirdly, whether your asthma is provoked by exercise or allergens, when you've got tolerance due to downregulation of the beta receptors, your asthma is worse. So just like exercise helps asthma, but also can might cause it if you do too much, beta agonists are great for asthma, but not so good if you're taking them too often and too regularly. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Fitch, for being our guest. We've been discussing what Australian sports doctors know about asthma and the Olympic athlete. I am Dr. Mary Lushars. You have been listening to a special segment, Focus on Sports Medicine, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at reachmd.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. If you have comments or suggestions, call us at 888 md XM157. Thank you for listening.